Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Travis, the pastor here. It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, if it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. I'm try to get this away from me. Is that better? I don't know what happened. There we go. That was my fault, y'all. It's good to be with y'all. If it is your first time, though, I would love for you to just text the word welcome right here. I got to do is text word welcome to that number. And like I said, that gives me a chance uh, just to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit, uh, which I would just love that opportunity. So if you could give me that chance, I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, we also have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today. So please stop by our table uh, before you leave. We'd love to give that to you. Uh, and if you prefer a more old school way to do it, we do have cards out there with some pens. You can fill that out as well and just leave that on the table. Like I said, really, this just gives me a chance uh, to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit, let you know how much we appreciate that. Uh, and you find us uh, in a series going verse by verse through the book of Acts. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been going slow and steady through this. So we've been eight weeks in. Today's our eighth week, and, and we haven't made it out of chapter two. Uh, but like I said, I promise we're, we're going to speed up here in a little bit. There's just some really foundational things that happen in the first two chapters, we want to make sure we get that uh, because they're going to be things that, that creep up again. So at the beginning of, of chapter two, we, we saw the Holy Spirit came, right? This promise that Jesus had been speaking to his disciples about before he was even crucified on the cross. Uh, he, he was speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit came, finally came, and it was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, the disciples are speaking in different languages. This massive crowd gathers together, uh, and, and then Peter, Peter preaches, right? He preaches his first sermon. Do I need to fix this? Sorry, man. Sorry, y'all. I don't want y'all to have to listen to that popping noise the whole time. Um, I don't know what happened. There we go. All right, so Peter preaches. Massive crowd gathers. Uh, as we find out at the end of, of chapter 2, here, which we're going to read again today, uh, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. So you can imagine there, there's probably more than just 3,000 people. So this is a massive crowd that Peter preaches to, uh, and their response is listed in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. So we read that last week. We're going to read it again this week. I told you we're going to take a couple of weeks to really spend time in this response so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. If you're not there already, we're going to start in verse 37, carry it down to verse 41. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screens behind me. We've also got Bibles there uh, on the table. Love to give you that as our gift to you. Please take one of those home today. Uh, but let me read this, and then we will, we will spend our time talking about it. So it starts out in verse 37. Now when they heard this, so this is, uh, they're speaking about the crowd, when this crowd heard Peter's sermon, and remember what his sermon was about, right? It was all about who Jesus is. It's all about him, him clearly telling that this crowd of Jewish people who are devoted to God, he's clearly telling them, hey guys, Jesus, that guy that you just crucified, the guy that you killed, yeah, he's the Messiah, it's all, his sermon is all about who Jesus really is, that, that he's, he's both Lord and Christ, right? That he's both, he's both God and he's both Savior. He is Lord and Christ. That's who Jesus is. That was his sermon was all about. Y'all have been longing and waiting for this Messiah, this Savior. And Peter's sermon is like, hey, he came. Y'all didn't like him, so you killed him. Way to go. All right, so that was his sermon in a nutshell. So he tells them this sermon. And what's their response? They were cut to the heart. Like we talked about last week, that, that means that, that they were deeply burdened over their sin. They're seeing for the first time, man, we, we just rejected the Messiah and crucified him. Like, this is, this is bad. They were cut to the heart. They were deeply burdened and saddened and remorseful over their sin. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, so, so again, Peter, Peter preaches. They're cut to the heart. They're like, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this new burden of sin that we have? And Peter tells them to do two things. There's two commands here, two commands of what they're supposed to do, and they are repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. This is what they're supposed to do. So last week, we, we talked about repentance. So that was all about, uh, last week was all about repentance. If you haven't had a chance to, to catch that, feel free to catch it on the podcast or YouTube channel. Uh, you can get caught up with us. But, but we looked at, at what it means to truly repent last week. And this week, we're going to look at baptism. We're going to look at baptism. As Peter tells us here, uh, we're, we're to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to note, I just want to make sure we're, we're clear on this before we go forward, that, that repentance is the key response. Repentance is the key response. Repentance, if we, if we truly repent and put our faith in Jesus, it, it should lead to baptism. It leads to the forgiveness of the, our sins, and it leads to the promise of the Holy Spirit. It leads to receiving the Holy Spirit. So repentance is key to all of this. But baptism is important too. Because again, there's two commands, right? Peter tells them, you got to do two things. You got you to repent and you got to be baptized. So baptism is not just some, you know, afterthought. No, it's a big deal for Peter. It's a big deal. Remember, it's a command here. It's a command to be baptized. And just like with repentance, it's something that we have to do. Like we, we have to repent. It's an action that we're called to do. We have to get baptized. It's an action that we're called to do. So it's not just some, some passive receiving, like we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive forgiveness of sins. No, we, we have to be baptized. It's an action that we have to state, uh, that we have to take. So what is baptism? What is baptism? We see baptism all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament. Uh, baptism is a big deal. Uh, in case you didn't know, you are at a Baptist church, so it's a big deal for us too. Uh, I know we don't have Baptists in our name, but we are a Southern Baptist church. So uh, Baptist is, uh, baptism is important for us. So, so what is it? What, what does baptism mean? Right off the bat, let's, let's make sure we define terms and understand what it means. So baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, baptizo. And it literally means, baptizo literally means to be dunked in or under water to be immersed in water, to go fully under water. That's what baptism at its base level, what it literally means is to be dunked down in the water. Like, you know, you're in the pool, you kind of get halfway in, that's not baptism. No, it's like going all the way under, dunking your head all the way under the water. That's baptism. But Peter isn't just telling these, this, this crowd who's now wanting to respond and put their faith in Jesus. He's not just telling them, hey, just go swimming just, just go get wet. Hey, cool, yeah, repent, but also go, go for a dip in the river. Like, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not just saying, go get wet, right? Like, he's not just saying, go get dunked into water. Baptism is more than that. It's more than just being dunked into water. And the significance for baptism comes in, in the why. Why we should get baptized. Why do we get baptized? Why does Peter tell this crowd who is now responding and putting their faith in Jesus for the very first time, why does he tell them to get baptized? Well, that's what I want to spend our time talking about today. So I want to give you two reasons why we are supposed to get baptized, why we should get baptized. Two reasons uh, for why we should walk in obedience to this command by Peter 
to be baptized. So two reasons. First one, right off the bat, let's dive in here. The first one is we are baptized to demonstrate our salvation. We are baptized to demonstrate our salvation. Now look, right off the bat, what we, what we see here in verse 38 is one of, the, one of the more controversial passages, one of the more controversial verses in Scripture. Look again at verse 38. Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. So the question is, and what there's a lot of debate on this about and why it's controversial, is the question comes up, in order to have our sins forgiven, do, do I have to get baptized? Do I have to get baptized? In order, in order to, to be saved, right, to be a Christian, to, to on the day that I die and I stand before God, and he's like, hey, why should I let you into my kingdom? And, and our answer is, well, I, I repented and I got baptized. Like, do we need the baptism part? So the question is, uh, in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, do I have to get baptized? And I would say no. I would say no. And you might be like, well, no, it says, it says here, for the forgiveness of your sins, we get baptized. So a lot of times the way we read that for is, is I'm to be baptized in order to get forgiveness of sins, right? I, I get baptized in order to have that. That's what that for means. But I would say, no, we need to read that as, as we need to be baptized because I've had forgiveness of my sins, because I've been forgiven. That's why I get baptized. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, here's an interpretation tool. When we, when we read Scripture, what we have to do is we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So what I mean by that is, is sometimes what we do is we, we just take a verse because we like the way it sounds, and we're like, oh, that sounds really cool. I like that verse. I like the way it sounds. Let me, let me put it on a picture frame. Let me put it as my Instagram post. Like, let me, let me own that as my life verse. Like, we take these verses out of their context, just one little verse, and we go, well, this is what the verse says, so this is what it must mean. And that, I just want to caution you, like, that can be really dangerous at times, especially in a verse like this, where it's like, okay, well, verse 38 says, be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, so I got to be baptized to be a Christian. No, so in order to understand this, we have to use scripture to, to help us understand what's happening in this passage. And when you read a verse, the way we are to interpret scripture is we kind of think of it in terms of concentric circles. So you start out with the immediate context, whatever that, that verse is, and you kind of zoom out to like that paragraph, the chapter, uh, kind of what, what's going on in that. And then you can kind of zoom out, well, what does the rest of the book say about this? Then you can zoom out, okay, what is the rest of the New Testament or, or the, the entire Bible? What does it say about this to help me understand what's going on here. So let's do that uh, with the book of Acts here. So the rest of scripture, when we, when we zoom out past verse 38 here, what we see with the rest of scripture is it tells us that in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, we need repentance and faith in Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need baptism to be a Christian. We need faith in Jesus to be a Christian. And even, even if we zoom out and look at the rest of the book of Acts, we see this in places uh, like Acts 3, 19 and 20, Acts 5, 31, Acts 10, 43, Acts 13, uh, 38 through 39. We see when, the, when Luke is talking about salvation in these places, he doesn't mention baptism. He mentions repentance and faith in Jesus. And again, when we zoom out to the rest of the Scripture, when we zoom out to the rest of the New Testament, that's what we see as well. So baptism does not save you. Okay, so if you become a Christian today and, Lord forbid, you, you go home, horrible car accident, pass away, you're standing before God, you didn't get a chance to get baptized that day. So we didn't have the tank ready, we didn't have the hose ready, you know, whatever it was. Didn't get to be baptized. Is God going to be like, oh, sorry, too late. 
you messed up there. No, no, that's not, baptism is not a part of our salvation. So we don't get baptized in order to save us. So why do we get baptized? It's to demonstrate and to show our baptism. It's a symbol of our salvation. And there's, there's two ways that I want to point out of how baptism symbolizes our salvation. The first way it symbolizes our salvation is baptism is a symbol of our new life in Christ. Amen. Baptism is a symbol of our new life in Christ. So one of the things that the Bible talks about when it talks about us being saved, it talks about us being made new. It talks about this new life in Jesus. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that, that, that word there for new creation is the Greek word kainos. And I love that word because it, it means something brand new, right? Like it's not just, ooh, I have this new thing that I, that I bought from somebody else. It's not, ooh, I got this refurbished thing that I cleaned up and I made it. It, it looks new. It's kind of new. No, it, that word kainos means you are a brand new creation, something that has never been seen, never been done before. That's how new we are in Christ. So the Bible talks about how we have this, this old life in Christ, this old life that is, that is chasing after sin, living in sin, and then when we, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're made new. We're made new. We have a new life in Christ. No longer am I living that old way. I'm made new. I'm a new creation. I'm brand new. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 put it this way. It says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, what good news is that? We were, we were dead in our sins, dead in our sins, hopeless, not able to save ourselves. And God, because of his mercy and his love for us, saves us and makes us new. We go from being dead to alive in Jesus. That is such good news. Praise God for that. And baptism demonstrates this. It demonstrates this new life that we have in Jesus. I, I love how Paul puts it in Romans 6. Romans 6 verses 3 through 4 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The baptism symbolizes this. This is why it's important to be dunked into water and not, I know there's some faith traditions that, that sprinkle or pour. Again, the, the word means to be dunked in, and this is why. This is why they called it baptism, is because it was this picture of you, you being buried to your old way. Remember, this is what we talked about with, repent, with repentance last week, right? Repentance means I was going this way towards my sin. Now I'm going towards Jesus. I'm not going this way anymore. I don't go back there anymore. I go with Jesus. So this old way of living is buried into the water, and we're raised new in Jesus. That's what baptism pictures. Baptism is an outward symbol of the inward change that happens when I put my faith in Jesus. My old life is buried. I'm raised new to live with Jesus. So baptism is a picture, is a symbol of our new life in Christ. Baptism is also a symbol of spiritual cleansing. Baptism is a symbol of spiritual cleansing. 
So another part of our salvation, when the Bible talks about us being saved, one of the things that it talks about is not just being made new, but it talks about us being made clean. It talks about us being made clean, that our sins are washed away and we're clean before God. So something to understand about the way the Bible talks about sin and our sinful nature apart from Jesus is that it talks about sin as it just, it just covers us. It just covers us. It makes us dirty. It covers everything. Not just, not just a part of us, not just a little bit of us. It, it makes us all dirty. It covers everything. Uh, so yesterday uh, was a nice day, just like today. Praise the Lord for that. Good weather. Love that. Uh, so we, we got our kids outside in our backyard. Uh, we've been cooped up in the house for a couple of days. Uh, but we got outside. So we got outside, get some sunlight. And, uh, you know, it's been raining this week a little bit. So our, our backyard... Uh, we used to have these, these two really big trees, Bradford pears, but, you know, those things are like taking time bombs for when they're going to crash and burn on your house. So we got rid of those things last year because one of them, our neighbors, fell onto our house, which is a lot of fun. But anyways, we got rid of those. So there used to be a lot of shade back there, and grass is not growing in the shade. So there's a lot of mud, and there are a lot of, a lot of gaps in our grass in the backyard. We try to cover it up with some rocks and some mulch and things like that. It doesn't really work out that well. So anyways, there's a lot of mud. So it's been raining. Our backyard's dirty. Our kids are playing around. Uh, we've got a six-year-old. We've got a five-year-old. And then we've got our, our one-year-old. And our one-year-old uh, doesn't realize that she's one. She just wants to keep up with the big kids, so she's just going all over. She's not walking yet, so she's crawling everywhere. And when you take her outside, she doesn't want to stay on, like, the, you know, the concrete back porch or, like, on a mat that we set out. No, she wants to be all over the backyard with the big kids. So she's just crawling around everywhere and just getting mud all over her. We have this, this sand table uh, that kind of, you know, the little kids can stand up and play in the sand. Well, she's figured out now that she's big enough to crawl into the sand table. So yeah, this is what she's doing. So yesterday, she's, she's already covered in mud. She's already wet from the, the dirty ground. She's now crawling into the sand table, digging all on the sand, getting that all on her. She thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. She'll crawl out. She'll crawl back in. Like, just what she does. So she is just like caked in dirt and mud. And then she realizes, oh, I don't like this feeling because now I'm cold and wet. So she's like, all right, get my, get my clothes off. So we take her clothes off. She's not ready to go inside yet. She wants to play outside. So now she's crawling around in our dirty, muddy backyard with just her diaper on, doing the same thing, in and out of the sand table, all over the mud, in the mulch, in the dirt. And she's just covered in mud. So when it's time to go in, I kind of, you know, parents, you do this thing where you just kind of pick them up and you just kind of hold them, just kind of hold them like this. That's, that's the parent move when your kids are dirty, for those of you who don't have kids yet. That's what you do. You just pick them and kind of hold them out there like this. Um, so I did that. So I, I took her like this, and I just kind of carried her like this and put her right in the bathtub, right in the bathtub. I had to clean her off. She was so muddy. Her diaper was covered. It was just nasty. That's how it looks with our sin. Apart from Jesus, our sin covers us, covers us. And we need more than just washing our hands. We need more than just getting a bath, like we need more. And here's the thing, with our sin, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't clean ourselves up, we can't do that. We can't make ourselves clean. But thankfully, through Jesus, he makes us clean. So there's some verses that speak to this. It's uh, one of my favorites, Titus 3, verses four and five. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that's Jesus, he appeared, Jesus appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of us, right? We are not saved because Travis did some good things. We are not saved because I'm just a, a decent all-around person. No, I'm not. He saved us not because of what we've done, but because of his own mercy. 
And how does he picture that? How does he picture that? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Such beautiful language. We are washed and made clean by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 1.18 speaks of it this way. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, though your, though your sins are like this deep red, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our sins cover us in red. And Jesus makes us white as snow. He makes us clean. He makes us pure. John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, right? Like this is what we talked about last week. Like if we feel that deep conviction and we confess to the Lord, we come to him in faith. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of how, uh, uh, all our sins, right? He forgives us of our sins, not, not, not just some. He forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from, what's that say? What's that word right there? All. Say it louder. What? All. All unrighteousness. Not just a little bit. Not just cleaning us up a little bit. No, he makes us completely righteous, completely clean before God. Amen. That's right. Amen. And this is what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes this, this cleansing of God. And look, this is, a, this is a key idea throughout the Old Testament. Like this is, remember, G, uh, Peter is preaching to devout Jewish people. So when he talks about being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, their immediate thought would have been taken to this spiritual cleansing idea. That's the first thing I thought of. See, baptism didn't start with, with Jesus. It didn't start with, with Peter here telling the crowd to be baptized. Like, it didn't start with, with Southern Baptists. You know, we, didn't, we didn't create baptism. It wasn't our idea. This was, being, this was done as a practice for Jews for a while now. That's what we see with, with the ministry of John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist comes. He's kind of the, the pre-runner to Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. And what, what's his ministry? Repent and get baptized. Repent and get baptized. And that's what he's doing. He's dunking people down into the Jordan River as a picture of spiritual cleanliness. So where does this come from? Like I said, this, this is an idea throughout your Old Testament. You will constantly see this idea of, of clean versus unclean in your Old Testament. Especially in the book of Leviticus. This is why the book of Leviticus is, is so important. I know you're reading a bunch of laws. It's weird, and why do we have this? But it's so good. It's so good, and it points to Jesus, y'all. It's so good. All right, one day we'll preach to that. It'll be fun. Uh, but this is the idea throughout the book of Leviticus. Uh, One-third of the uses of the word clean in your Bible found in Leviticus. Half of the uses of unclean found in Leviticus. This is a big deal. So what God does, when he, when he sets up these laws and these things for Jewish people to do and not do, what, what he kind of speaks of it as is, is when you do or, or, or say or uh, not do certain things, you go from being clean before God to unclean. You go from, from clean to unclean. So one of the examples is, uh, is they're not, Jewish people were not supposed to touch a dead animal. All right, so they see a dead animal, not supposed to touch that. Not just because it's gross, y'all, right? Like it's nasty. We were on the way to school the other day, and the kids were so excited to see a dead coyote on the road. They thought it was the coolest thing ever. I'm not about to pull over and be like, hey, let's go touch that, right? Because we're, we're not Jewish people, so I get to touch dead animals. Like, no, nobody does that. That's gross, y'all. Don't be doing that. It's nasty. But that's not, that's not why God says don't touch dead animals. It's not just... It's not just because it's gross and it's nasty and, and, and you're getting bacteria and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's not, that's not why he says to do that. The reason here is because it, it, it makes them spiritually unclean. That's the idea for God here. No, no, why is it? Is God just like, I hate that animal, so don't touch it? No, it's, it, it's a picture of what God's calling. This is what, the, what we see throughout the law. 
the law is not just, just the law itself. It, it's the reason behind the law. And what God does with the reasons behind the law here is to show his people, I want you to live differently than the rest of the world. I want you to be different. So don't do these things because it makes you spiritually unclean. So that's why they were to do these things. So, so when they would do or not do this certain stuff, they would go from, from spiritually clean to spiritually unclean. And in order to get back to clean, what they had to do was go through some sort of, uh, of washing uh, ritual where they would, they would go through this cleansing process. Maybe it was, you know, wait a certain amount of days and go wash. Or, or maybe do uh, X amount of washings, X amount of days, and then you're, you're spiritually clean. Again, this, this was just, these were pictures to help them understand how to live a holy life before God. So there was this idea and understanding for the Jewish people. When they sinned, when they messed up, they knew that they went from being clean to unclean. And in order to go back to clean, they needed God. We see this uh, beautifully displayed in, in Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 uh, was written by David. And it was written after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. Nathan comes and confronts him. He, he, he sees his sin clearly. He's broken over that. And here's what he writes. Psalm 51 verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, David understood something here. Our sin makes us dirty before God, and I can't clean myself up. I need God to give me a clean heart. I need God to wash me and make me clean, and that's what he does through Jesus. And baptism is a picture of that. So when Peter tells this very Jewish crowd, repent and get baptized, that would have been their thought. I repent, that's the, the spiritual side of me being made clean, and now I do this symbol to let everybody else know I'm being made clean by Jesus. So baptism is a picture of being made clean by Jesus. I love how Hebrews 10 summarizes this. It says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what it means to be saved. That's what Jesus does for us. See, no longer with our sin do we go being from clean to unclean, and now we're separated from God, and now, now we got to do certain things to get back to being clean. No, through Jesus, we are clean. We're clean. That's our standing before God. We are now clean. And it's not because of me. It's not because of you. It's not because of what we do. It's all because of Jesus. He washes us clean. And again, baptism shows that. Baptism demonstrates that. So this is why we get baptized. One of the reasons why we get baptized is to demonstrate our salvation, is to show, give a symbol for the good work that Jesus has done in our lives. So we're baptized to demonstrate our salvation. The second reason, the second reason why we get baptized, we are baptized to associate with Jesus. We are baptized to associate with Jesus. Look again at, at verse 38. Verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
and the name of Jesus Christ. And the name of Jesus Christ. Now look, as we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, there is great power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there is power. And it's incredible, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's all Jesus, right? It's all Jesus. But what Peter isn't saying here is he's not saying that when you use the name Jesus, when you get baptized, that it makes your, your baptism extra special, okay? That's not, that's not what he's doing. It's not that if you forget to say that I baptize you in the name of Jesus, that your baptism somehow doesn't count, all right? Like, that's not what's, what's happening. The church I, I came from, uh, one of the things that we did with baptism, which I love, is we allowed the person who was being baptized to kind of pick who would baptize them. Because, look, there's nothing special about being a pastor, all right? I don't, you, just because you get baptized as a pastor doesn't make the water any less water or any more special. Like, that's not, that's not how it works, all right? So we let people uh, pick, like, maybe it was a child who's being baptized by their parents, which was awesome, or, or maybe somebody who it was their friend that invited them to church. It was their friend that helped them understand who Jesus was, and their, their friend is going to baptize them. Or maybe it was a, a spiritual mentor that really helped them grow in Jesus. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, but what we we quickly found out is, is those that, if you're not used to baptizing, like I could baptize people in my sleep because I just know the words. I've been doing it for years. But those that have never done it before, they, they mess this up all the time. So I would work with them. I would coach them. I would even like kind of feed them lines like, okay, then you say this next. Like I would, I would help them out and then still they would mess it up. Like they would still not say everything that I was like trying to get them to say. But here's the thing. The words don't matter. Just because they would forget sometimes to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or I baptize you in the name of Jesus, does not take away from the meaning of their baptism. Just because they forgot, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you did. If we got, we got, y'all, we got, that was awesome, right? Praise the Lord, yeah, yeah, We got to redo that. They didn't say it right. That's not, that's not what we see. In We're not given a specific formula to say. Like, that's not what's going on. When Peter says this, when Peter says to be baptized in the name of Jesus, He's talking about association. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about identifying ourselves with Jesus. That's why they're to be baptized, because they're with Jesus. They're not being baptized because they, they just feel bad about their sin and they just need a fresh start, right? Like, I just, let me, you know, I've been, I've been down spiritually. I've been struggling a little bit. I've been far from God. So let me get, let me get re-baptized here because, because it feels good, right? It makes me feel good about my spiritual life right now. Like, that's not why they're being baptized, they're not, they're not being baptized because they have some general belief in God. They're not. They're, they're Jews. They're Jewish people. Of course they believe in God. And yet they still need to put their faith in Jesus. They're being baptized in the name of Jesus because they're with Jesus now. They're with Jesus. They belong to him. Their faith is in him. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So Peter's telling everybody here, he's telling the entire crowd, look, you want to come to God? You want to be saved? You want to be rescued? You want to be forgiven for your sins? Get, you got to go, go through Jesus to do that. There's no other way except through Jesus. That's how you come to God. It's not, you know, let me try to find this work around me. You know, lots of people can get to God in different ways. No, it's only through Jesus. Jesus himself says it. He says it. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus. You have to come through Jesus. So, so baptism pictures this. So it's a lot like the, the illustration that I use, and if we, you know, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll see a lot of baptisms here at Haynes Creek, and you'll see me and hear me use this illustration a lot. But it's like my wedding ring, right? So I, I wear a wedding ring. I'm married. I've been married for 12 years to my wife, Kendra. Love, love Kendra. So I, I, I wear this wedding ring, and the reason I wear this wedding ring is to tell everybody else in the world I'm spoken for, right? Like, I belong to Kendra. I, I've, I've committed myself to Kendra. 
That's why I wear a wedding ring. So when I, when I take this wedding ring off, am I still married? That's audience participation. Am I still married? Yes, I am still married. Even though I take this ring off, I'm still married. The ring does not make me married. My commitment before God and the state to Kendra, that makes me married. I wear this ring as a symbol to tell everybody I'm with her. I belong with her. I've committed myself to her. Baptism is the same thing. Baptism doesn't save us, doesn't forgive us of our sins, but what baptism does is it tells everybody, I'm with Jesus. I belong to him. I'm with Jesus. So baptism identifies us with Jesus. That's, why, that's what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And look, this is why, this is why we do it publicly, right? Like I get, I've, I've baptized again. I've baptized a lot of people in my life. A lot of people, folks, don't love being the center of, of attention for the most part. Some do. That's all right. But most don't. So they don't like getting up in front of people. So it's always this question, hey, can we do it like after church when nobody's around? Can we, can we do it at my neighborhood pool where nobody's here? Sure, we could. But the beauty in baptism is doing it before your church family because it's a public declaration of I belong to Jesus and I belong to his family now. So that's why we do it in public. And this is also why we believe, especially at a Baptist church, why we believe and teach that baptism should come post-salvation. It should come after we put our faith in Jesus. So I can't spend too much time here. I'm just going to give you a high level. So there's kind of two, two ideas here with baptism. There's those that, that believe uh, and teach that baptism should come after salvation. So that's called believer's baptism. Uh, the fancy word for that is called credo baptism. And then there's some that, that believe uh, that, that you're baptized as an infant. Um, and that's called pedo baptism. That's a fancy word for that. So what we teach here, what we believe, is that baptism should come post-salvation. It should come after salvation. And this is one of the reasons why. If baptism is supposed to be a picture of me associating with Jesus, then, then how, can I, how can I be baptized if I'm, not, if I'm not with Jesus? Like, baptism doesn't make sense at that point. Doesn't, it doesn't make sense at that point. Uh, other reasons that, that we believe that and teach is just, just real quick, high level, is because every instance from here going forward, every instance of baptism in your New Testament comes post-salvation. It comes after people put their faith in Jesus. Jesus also tells us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he tells us, hey, hey, your job as a Christian is to go and make disciples. You want to know what that looks like? What does it look like to make disciples? Here's two things to do when you make a disciple. You teach them everything I've taught you, and you baptize them. So baptism comes after salvation. It comes as a part of making disciples. It's not, hey, get baptized, and then, oh, make some disciples, have people put their faith in me. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's a part of the discipleship process. Well, the Romans 6 passage that we just read doesn't make sense if you get baptized before you put your faith in Jesus. How can baptism be a symbol of you being buried, your old life being buried and raised new in Jesus, if you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus? Now, look, before we go uh, any further here, I just want to be clear, like, this is an open-handed issue. This is not, you know, if you come to me and you're like, Travis, I believe in, in infant baptism, and I feel like, oh, have you? clearly not a Christian. No, that is, is an open-handed people where good people that love Jesus can disagree with one another, all right? And when we get to heaven, not a bit will matter. But it, so this is an open-handed issue that believers can and do disagree with. So there's some, some rock-solid faith traditions that practice infant baptism. Now, again, I, I can't go over the whole history of it, but just know, like, the reason that came about was more practical, not theological. It was more practical, not biblical. That's when the practice started, and then theological systems were built around that 
to protect and preserve that practice. So just keep that in mind, and here's my encouragement. If you land differently on this, like I said, it's an open-handed issue. I'm not going to doubt your salvation because you disagree, but here's what I would encourage you. Like all issues, like all, especially the open-handed theological issues, here's my advice. Let Scripture be your guide. Let Scripture be your guide. Rely on what Jesus says. And we're going to get to this in Acts 17, 11, where, where we're told that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they checked the scriptures. They didn't trust a pastor. Even Paul, they didn't trust him to tell them the truth. No, they said, okay, that sounds good, but let me go double check. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take the way you grew up for it. Don't, don't take some, uh, some denominational tradition for it. No, let, let scripture guide you. And look, here's my commitment to you. If you dig deep into scripture and you, you come to a different resolution than some of these other open-handed issues where I land or other folks land, I'm not going to be mad. I'm going to say, cool. We can still have fellowship with one another. We can still be in church together. We can still be brothers and sisters in Jesus together because what matters is you've wrestled with the text. And you didn't just say, well, I grew up learning this. Well, the denomination I grew up in taught me this. Well, my pastor said this. Y'all, sometimes we're wrong, okay? Sometimes we're wrong. Just get that in your head. Not everything I say is going to be right. And some things you're going to be like, man, I disagree with that. And I'm going to say, cool, praise God. I'm okay with that. That's fine if you disagree. But we're going to let Scripture be our guide. So that's my encouragement to you. Let Scripture guide you. What does Scripture say? And again, what we believe Scripture says here, the way, the way I understand Scripture, is that baptism comes after we've put our faith in Jesus so that we can demonstrate our salvation and so that we can show people I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter clearly shows us and he tells us clearly what the gospel is, what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian. That it's more than just a general belief in God, right? Like the, the Jewish people that he's preaching to, they believed in God. If he said, hey, do you believe in God? They're like, yes, I've always believed in God. I've, been, I've believed in God since I was a little kid. Yes, I believe in God. But being saved is more than that. We have to believe in Jesus. And we can't rely on our good works, right? We can't rely on just being good like the Jewish people here that he's preached to. They can't just rely on the law. That is not going to save them. Our good works will not save us. Remember, our, our sins cover us completely. We are dirty before God. We are dead in our sins. We need to be made alive in Jesus. Now, according, according to Peter, what it means to be saved, the things that we need to put our faith in Jesus, it means first we, we see our sins clearly, right? Or we're cut to the heart over our sins. We, we believe and we understand, man, I've sinned against God, and that's not okay. And I, I, because of that, I, I deserve judgment and wrath. So we need to see our sins clearly. And then we need to believe in Jesus. And not some made-up image of Jesus, but, but the, the true, actual Jesus. What the Bible tells us about Jesus, that, that he is Lord and God, that he is Christ and Messiah and Savior. We put our faith in him. And then we repent and trust in Jesus for our salvation. We repent, and we put our faith in Jesus. We, we, we turn away from our sin, and we go to Jesus, right? We go from not believing to believing. That's what it means to be saved. And when Peter says, when that happens, our sins are forgiven. We receive the Holy Spirit, and a part of that, we should be baptized. 
We should be baptized to show everybody, this is what happened in my life. This is what God has done. This is how Jesus has rescued me. This is how Jesus made me from dead to alive. That's why we get baptized. So a couple of things here for us. If you've never repented and put your faith in Jesus, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you call on Jesus. Because the truth is we, we are sinners in need of judgment. We have sinned against God and we deserve wrath and there's nothing we can do to stop that. But Jesus can. Jesus can. So call out to him. Put your faith in Jesus today. If you're here and, and you are a believer, you have put your faith in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you, get baptized. Get baptized. I would love nothing more than to dunk you in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. It will be awesome. And look, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been, I've been baptized a bunch of folks, and I've heard this a lot. I've baptized people who have been Christians for, for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And every time I hear that, it's like, man, I was, I was so nervous to get past. I thought people were going to judge me and be like, wow, you never been baptized? How good a Christian are you? Like, no, nobody does that. When we hear, man, I, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I never did this, so now I'm doing that. What we hear is, praise God for your obedience. That is awesome, and we're going to celebrate that, all right? So just let, don't let the devil get in your head about that. So if you've never been baptized, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Okay, you've been a Christian for 100 years. You've never been baptized. Get baptized. Get baptized. Look, we'll pull out the tank as often as we need to, all right? I'll, I'll, we'll find a way to do it, okay? We'll bring it inside. We'll put it on the, I don't, I don't even care. We will figure it out, church. So if you've never been baptized, let me know, and let's, let's get you baptized. It'll be awesome, and we'll all celebrate, and it'll be a beautiful thing. For the believers in the room who have been baptized, let, let today, and, and especially last week as well, let it, let it be a reminder of the gospel. Let it be a reminder of all that Jesus has done for us. And let that reminder of the gospel, maybe sing it fresh in a new way, that, that, he's, that he's made us new, that he's made us clean. Let's let that stir our hearts and our affections, our desire for Jesus as we live for him this week. Let that, let that empower us and lead us towards obedience to live for him here and now. Let me pray for us and we're going to enter into a time of communion. So we, we do this every week where we have communion at the end of our time together, and this is a time for believers in the room. So this is for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, because again, communion is another symbol and picture of what Jesus has done for us. So for believers in the room, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, as we do every week, the band's going to come up and play and sing. I encourage you, take, take some time, as much time as you need. Take some time, spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to repent of some sins. Maybe you need to, you know, align your heart back with God. Maybe you just need to spend some moment in worship and praise of what Jesus has done for us. So take the time you need, and as you're ready, you can go on either side of the room. We have tables set up with the elements, and we, we take the bread, and we drink the cup, and remembering Jesus' broken body on the cross and his shed blood for our sins. We remember that, we celebrate, and we worship our God and our Savior. Again, for those in here who, who might not be a believer, but, but you want to take that step today. If you're like the crowd, you're, 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 you're being cut to the heart. You're seeing your sins in a new way, and you know you need a Savior. And you're like, what, what do I do? We do what Peter tells us to. We run to Jesus. We repent, and we put our faith 
in Jesus. And look, there's no magic formula for this. There's no magic words to say. So I'll just encourage you, if that's you here today, just, just tell God what you're feeling. Just tell God what you're, what you're thinking now. You tell God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need judgment. And I'm trusting you, Jesus, to save me. I don't want to live for my sin anymore. I'm turning to you. You tell Jesus that, and he says that we call out to him, we put our faith in him, he saves us. He makes us new. He makes us clean. All of our sins are forgiven. So that's you here today. Just, just say those words as I'm praying. Just tell God what you're thinking again. Just tell him that. And then let one of us know. Let somebody know here so that we can jump up and down and celebrate with you because that is awesome. You've, been, you've gone from dead to alive. That's a miracle, and we need to celebrate that. So let us know. And then come take your first communion as a child of God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, as we've read in so many passages today, Lord, how broken of a sinner that we really are, how much our sins have covered us, and yet in your love and in your mercy, you have rescued us, Jesus. You have reached down into the dirt, and you've picked us up in your arms, and you've washed us. You've made us new. You've welcomed us into your family as your child. Jesus, thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Jesus, I pray for each one of us. Lord, let, let, let this reminder of the gospel stir our hearts towards you, Jesus. Lead us towards obedience, whether that means maybe we need to walk in repentance, maybe we need to turn from some sin that we've been living in. Maybe it means that we need to, we need to get baptized for the first time as a believer. Maybe we need to put our faith in you for the very first time. We've had this general belief in you, but now we're trusting in Jesus. Well, whatever that looks like, give us the strength to obey, to walk in obedience to you, Jesus. We, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. In your name we pray. Amen.